Hello and welcome to the Banker podcast series, Banking in Transition, where we explore how banking has changed through the COVID-19 pandemic and is adapting for the future. In this series, the Banker's editors are interviewing industry experts from around the world to gather insights and advice on specific challenges, best practices and innovations that can help banks and their customers as we move towards a new normal in banking. I'm Kimberly Long, Age Editor at The Banker, and today I'm speaking with CM Mueli, Chief Product Officer at Elucidate, and Ben Arba, Head of US and Americas at Elucidate. Thanks so much for joining me today, both. Thank you. So to start with, can you give me some insights on how risk is being priced at present? So CM, do you want to start with that question? Yes, sure. So the concept of pricing risk is not new. It's applied in the credit space for over 100 years now. Um, I think what's new is actually applying that concept in other areas, which is what we're trying to do. So in essence, looking at the lessons that we've learned over time from the credit space and applying those to financial crime and seeing whether by pricing risk into, for example, cross-border payments, you can change the whole incentive structure that gets banks um, to take financial crime risks seriously and to actually more effectively counter those risks. So to give you a little bit more context, Um, Right now, uh, what drives essentially efforts to fight financial crime in banks is primarily uh, regulation and, you know, the fear of regulatory enforcement. And that can only get you so far. And because we see that those fines are continuing to come and the fear is that over time it just becomes kind of the price of doing business. But by actually pricing risk into, for example, again, cross-border payments, but perhaps also other product offerings like in, in trade finance, for example, what we're trying to say is that banks that actually do a good job at managing this risk and um, essentially blocking illicit actors from accessing their services are going to benefit in the global market by having access to better prices, which is also going to make them more competitive in the market. And I think that that is actually really a driver for banks. If you think about how businesses are run, you know, if you're able to say that there's a true benefit um, to their actual revenues, uh, you, you kind of win the argument right away. So what we're trying to do is essentially looking at the space Uh, that credit was in when it started uh, over 100 years ago and essentially apply the same logic to financial crime. And um, so far, we're we're getting traction in the market and we're seeing really big global banks interested in uh, doing this going forward. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And for me, it's about creating specific, new, tangible incentives and disincentives to add to the moral obligation to do the right thing, to address bribery, corruption, money laundering, and illicit activity. And in addition to the expected regulatory action to address that sort of activity. And the disincentive would be if you're a bank that doesn't have a mature AML framework or doesn't have effective controls, you'll pay more for payments and trade services from your correspondent bank and may end up losing the ability to enjoy those services. And then on the flip side, the incentives of doing the right thing and addressing financial crime in a mature, advanced, demonstrable way is that actually you save cost and can access cheaper services from your correspondent banking partners. So pricing risk is what banks do and have done for decades, as CM mentioned, 
And we believe that adding financial crime risk into the mix is a extremely powerful factor. And what impact can a high price of risk have? And what are the negative effects that this can create? So, Ben, what are your thoughts about this? So, I think, unfortunately, the proceeds of crime and corruption are still flowing broadly through banking systems, both in developed and emerging markets. A lot has been done to address it, but all you need to do is look at, for example, United Nations Sustainable Development Goal 16 or the Biden administration's focus through the Summit for Democracy on tackling corruption, kleptocracy and illicit flows. And you recognize that more needs to be done. So we believe there's minimal downside in increasing transparency around illicit flows and in taking new approaches like pricing financial crime risk. However, I suppose you could envisage a future where there is a level of over-regulation once risk is priced and once new areas of risk are identified in banks and in the banking system broadly. And I think if that did come to pass, there would be unfortunate consequences in terms of wasted effort and cost and um, lots of higher fees for consultants. But I think that risk can be mitigated through a number of ways. Number one, setting standards. And I think obtaining consensus between the private and public sector, likewise gaining consensus around pricing financial crime risk internationally. And I think also building on existing frameworks. So there is a EU benchmarking rule. There is an SEC guideline around rating risk. And those are some examples of how existing regulation can be leveraged to make sure that as the market moves towards pricing financial crime risk, it's done through it's, it's done so in a appropriate way. I want to add, you know, when we're talking about negative impact, I think whenever you're making a, a change like this, which has kind of a great potential, but what you find yourself is that you're disrupting a market that's pretty established. And whenever you do that, uh, you know, you have uh, some resistance to that change. And where I see a risk is uh, given that at least the way that we see the future of pricing financial crime risk is very much technology enabled. What you can have is a situation where uh, perhaps banks that have been previously perceived in the market as kind of safe or doing a good job uh, may actually be not as safe as we thought and vice versa. Some other, some other banks that are perceived that, uh, as actually risky or not as risky as we thought. And I think that change in perception and uh, that new knowledge that needs to emerge, that can also create quite a lot of resistance to that change. But whenever you have uh, a disruption, uh, you have people that are benefiting from it and you have people that may feel like it's taking a step back. However, if you're one of those banks that are somewhat found to maybe not be doing as good of a job as you thought, you can fix that. You have control over that. You can change your program. You can change your controls. Um, you can actually make an effort to get better at it and actually get back on top. So from that perspective, as long as it's providing the right incentives for people to 
get on with the change and do the right thing, that disruption, in my view, is is worthwhile given the kind of bigger ethical uh, goal that we're trying to get to. And with all these different points in mind now, how can risk be better or even more fairly decided? So, CM, what are your thoughts on this? Right. So I was just saying we want a, a world where it's technologically enabled and we were drawing parallels between the credit world and what we do. So generally speaking, in the credit world, the way it works is that you'll have a team of analysts that will review, you know, the bank's financial performance and different um, uh, documents and numbers and balance sheets. And then they'll come to a view as to what is the credit risk associated with that on seeing a bank, but with any really institution or organization or person that's getting assessed. And that's a great process. And you can bring as much consist consistency to that process as you want. But ultimately, you still have people determining what the risk is. And what we're doing and what we see is kind of the future of pricing financial crime risk is to actually have that be enabled through technology. And in that sense, technology can be a great equalizer and a driver of fairness, because even if you end up having subjectivity into your technology, that subjectivity is equally applied across the board. So everyone is assessed in exactly the same way through the same algorithm or through a few algorithms in the market that exist. Uh, still enabling some comparison and some competition and some context, but really not only does it drive efficiency, not, a, not only does it drive new knowledge, but it can also be a, a driver of fairness uh, in applying really the same standards to every single institution across the globe. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and another key element of that approach is the value of data sharing. I mean, the banking system is massively interconnected. And the value of data transactions, customers that are shared between banks, both domestically and cross border, needs to be leveraged significantly more than today. And I think setting standards around the visibility of that data leads to much better visibility of risk and decisioning around financial crime risk. An example that we can point to is Know Your Customer, KYC, due diligence. Banks conduct due diligence on each other based on a bilateral view, leveraging transactions across the broader financial system would give a much more rounded picture as to how well a counterparty bank is actually managing corruption, financial crime risk more broadly. And we also believe that that is the way the market is moving. If we look at the Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020 in the US, the provisions for data sharing between banks around unusual or suspicious activity, together with the creation of a database for ultimate beneficial ownership, are examples of how increased transparency and sharing of data between organizations will benefit the broader banking system from a risk management perspective. But a lot more needs to be done and the value that can be created through leveraging that data sharing and data pooling approach is immeasurable. That's great. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me today. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And you can keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify and Acast and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcasts.
Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.